Welcome to episode 76. Today, Alison Cottle from Ready, Set, Co-Teach joins us to talk about co-assessing. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. When I first collaborated with content teachers, I followed the in-class support model. This model is supporting without really co-teaching. There was no co-teaching because there really wasn't any co-planning. Then I moved to co-teaching model when we had a chance to co-plan. When we met to plan, we designed lessons. We determined who will teach what, who will make the resources, who will work with whom. Then it dawned on me that we can also co-plan the assessments too. In this episode, Alison Cottle shares an amazing framework for co-assessment from Dr. Andrea Hogensfeld and Dr. Maria Dove. Make sure you listen to the end when Alison shares her co-assessment cycle her team created. Now, on to today's podcast. So with us today is one of the three amazing teachers, uh, part of Ready, Set, Co-Teach on Twitter. If you are on Twitter, you know that their presence is amazing and helpful. They share what they do and they share how they work together as a team. And, and they don't have individual, I, sure, I think they have individual accounts, but they, they write as uh, they tweet as a team. So it's pretty cool to have them there. So Allison, would you introduce your, yourself in your teaching context? Sure. So I'm Allison Caudill. I am the ESL teacher member of Ready, Set, Co-Teach. Um, I co-teach with Ashley in first grade and John in second grade. And I spend half my day with each of those teachers uh, merging language and content. Tell us, how did you start? Uh, so what does that look like throughout the day? I start the day with Ashley. We do our morning routines and then we teach the ELA block together. So that's the language arts block where we do a 60 minute whole group and then 40 minute small groups where we both see groups and we both see all the students in the class. Mm. So it's for us more inclusive and more equitable. And then I move after lunch to John's room in second grade and we do the same thing, but with the content and curriculum in second grade. Do you, and you have, do you have time for co-planning? Yes. So we co-plan during the day. We are very fortunate to have an administration that is very supportive of us and has given us 75 minute uninterrupted co-planning during the school day. Is that and anything we don't complete, then we do ourselves outside of school hours. So we do tend to meet on Sundays here and there. Wow. 
<laughs> wow, that's impressive. And that's really just your that shows like a lot of determination. What how often do you have that 75 minute planning? We have 75 minute planning every day. Wow. But since I also serve kindergarten in a different setting, I have a planning period to myself on Fridays and then on Mondays and Wednesdays, I'm with second grade and during planning for co-planning. Um, and then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm with first grade for co-planning. And one of those days is just the two co-teachers. And the other day is with the entire grade level team. Okay. So you, you're spread around a lot. At least you have a structure that supports your, that supports co-planning, which is so key to our work. It's absolutely key. And it's something that we pushed for and we really um, came to our administration with reasons why we needed it and why it was um, a non-negotiable for us for co-teaching. And we were lucky enough that we were supported. Exactly. If I used to say that if we co-teach, if we co, if we're in the, if I'm in the classroom and I haven't had a chance to co-plan, that's called in-class support. But if I had a chance to co-plan with my colleague, then I call that co-teaching. So it's really, really clear the work that we're doing. And so if you just want me in the class uh, to provide in-class support, this is what you get. But the real benefit comes from co-planning. And that's when we really co-teach, not just me being in the room. Exactly. Exactly. And it was it was a transition for us from the in-class support to co-teaching. But that transition is a big one. And, uh, you know, that co-planning piece is integral. I know I'm going to have you and Ashley and John come together in another episode where we where we talk about all of that together as a as a triad where I'm going to ask you, how did it start? What what was the process like? What are the phases of collaboration you have you've gone through? How have you developed a really wonderful relationship together? What's your advice? So we'll have you on. So we'll save all of that for later. But today, uh, you're, you're our guest host today, our guest speaker today, to talk about co-assessing as part of co-planning, um, which is so essential. Because I, I always thought that co-teaching was the only thing we did. But when we co-plan, we also have to co-plan assessments. What is your approach to that? Well, first of all, let's talk about why is that so important? Okay, so um, so co-assessment for us is so important because it's all about integration. Co-teaching is all about integration. So we want to make sure that we're assessing students' content, but also their language simultaneously in context in authentic ways. And the best way to do that is through the the grade level curriculum, but making sure that we're addressing both content and language standards. We also find it really important that we have co-ownership over everything we're doing in a co-taught classroom. And it's not just the teaching that we need to have co-ownership over, it's also the assessment um, because it leads to more effective lessons. It leads to us collaborating on differentiation and sharing responsibilities and um, you know, really making sure that we are using data to drive our instruction, our co-instruction. I wrote down when you were talking, I said, I think 
content, we're assessing content and language at the same time. Because, because if we are not co-assessing together, the thing that happens is that the assessment can become a reading test for kids instead of a, a content assessment. It becomes, it needs to be, we need to write an assessment in a way that is comprehensible to kids, that they read the instructions and they can understand it. If they don't, we're just really assessing their ability to read and not their uh, development and understanding of the content. You said that perfectly, exactly. So many times our English learners, when they are in an inclusive setting, are, I mean, the reality is they are being assessed, you know, just on the content, just on the knowledge. And so as ESL teachers, especially when we are co-teaching, it's important that we are the advocate for that language and the advocate to make sure that it's not just content, but it's also language all rolled into one. And how do you scaffold for language on an assessment? So it depends on the assessment, as everything does in teaching. Um, but it is usually we have scaffolds such as we might have sentence frames, we might have word banks, we might have extra visuals, we might um, have, well, we always have the expectations and go over the expectations prior. So for example, for speaking and listening tests, because we have those that we integrate with content, yes. um, we make sure that we have gone over what is expected. These are the things we are looking for. And all of those things can be considered um, modifications. So I'm looking at my article by uh, that I posted on Middleweb. It's called Designing Your Test with Language Learners in Mind. And you named mm -hmm. exactly the things that I suggested. Word banks, so important. It's just the simple fact that we're giving kids the content words that they need to be using. We're not defining it for them. We are not making it easier for them. We're just saying, here are the words that we learned that are is content-specific words. We just want you to remember these, or we just want you to be able to use these in your, your responses in your assessment. And then you also talked about another linguistic scaffold would be the sentence frames and the sentence starters that would help kids um, if they need it. And that's where the differentiation would happen. You wouldn't just give it to everybody. You would just provide it uh, if kids need it at that time. Uh, Absolutely. We, um, I have teachers actually ask me all the time, uh, so at what point do we consider this you know, giving too much yes. because they're very hesitant a lot of times content teachers to give anything because it's just, you know, a lack of understanding of how to implement it, you know, effectively. And, you know, as long as it's word to word, they can use a dictionary. As long as it's like you said, we're not defining the words for them. It's important that we make sure that we're not testing them on how many words they know, but how well they know them and how to use them in authentic ways yeah that's key it's it's, it's it's about how kids use the words not if the kids can remember how to spell the words one of the things we always ask the students before we even go into any sort of assessment or any sort of even honestly in just normal everyday activities and tasks in class is before we go to do work independently where are your resources what yeah. are your resources show us and tell us so that we make sure that that the students are aware if they need a little help, where are the scaffolds? What are they and how to use them? So do you ask the teachers or the kids how to do that? 
the kids because we will have, for example, a word wall with visuals next to each word. Uh, and we have, you know, the expectations will be up either on the TV or on the wall. Uh, I get the, it. Okay. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like making sure that the kids know if you get to a point where you're struggling, you have X, Y, and Z to support you. Right. And you're, you're saying that the resources are in the room. They're in the anchor charts that are there to help kids if they need. This is, we're thinking about like a, a very, uh, a, a formal summative assessment where kids are uh, maybe a, a paper and pen or a pencil and pen experience where yes, they, they can use the, the anchor charts around that to help them. Of course, the anchor charts won't have the answers, but they can still use the anchor charts, the visuals to cue them into, oh, we did this several weeks ago. You know, making sure that we are helping the kids to access that prior knowledge and that background that we've built over the past however many weeks to get here to this assessment. Yes. So one of the essential pieces in co-planning is co-planning assessments, collaborative, collaboratively planning these assessments. And so all of these amazing scaffolds that you have mentioned and that you had in that blog are you have to decide when they're appropriate. Yes. And that's the time to do it is during that co-planning. What are we going to provide? Who needs it? You know, um, at what level do they need it? They might need, you know, only for you to do a sentence starter, not the entire sentence frame with just one blank. Maybe I need to just give them this. And that's all an amazing conversation that you can have collaboratively because the truth is the content teacher is the expert on the content and us ESL teachers are the expert on the language. And every time I look at an assessment, my mind immediately goes to, okay, what would a bridging English learner need on this assessment? What would an um, developing English learner need on this assessment? And those are the kind of conversations that we're having together because they don't look at the assessment the same way. And that's the lens that we come with. And that's why I think it's, it's such a great um, integration when you have two people looking at something from two completely different perspectives. And then when it comes together, it's adjusted and scaffolded beautifully so students can be successful. And this is an example of a job embedded professional learning. It's really wonderful when teachers come together and they co-create the assessment because the content teacher is adding to her toolkit of how to write assessments for language learners so that in the future, uh, you don't really have to be there because they have developed that skill, that independence. Um, and more importantly, actually as importantly, uh, when, the, when the ELA teacher or the ESL teacher is co-constructing the assessment alongside the content teacher, they, this is my, this is something that I am guilty of. I'm guilty of watering down the assessment for kids or making it too easy. But when I'm sitting next to my content teacher and she's saying, well, that's not what this question means. This is, when you asked, when you reframed it this way, it actually becomes, it actually became a lot easier for kids. We don't want that. Uh, we want to keep it at this level. Let's change the wording so that it fits at this level. And so it becomes job embedded learning for me as well. So both, not kids don't just benefit, but it's just the, it's also the teachers that uh, benefit from this experience in such a, such a meaningful way. Definitely. Um, and 
I think it's so important too to touch on, I am a co-teacher, I am. And that is what I am passionate about is inclusive, integrated learning for these English learners. But even ESL teachers who are not co-teaching, that's why it's so important what you just said for them to still collaborate and you can still collaborate and, and uh, co-construct these assessments, even if you're not co-teaching. Because, you know, us ESL teachers will learn from the content teacher, the content teacher will learn from us, and then hopefully carry on providing these much needed um, language scaffolds and different things when we're not in the room. Like you said, you know, we learn and then we grow through that learning and then it spreads even further. Another form of co-assessing, if you don't have time, I, I can hear listeners saying, uh, I don't have time. How do you have time to do this? What one, one approach would be to have the teacher send you the assessment and then you can go and look at it through your language lens. This is not as ideal as the one we just talked about where teachers are sitting together and co-creating. But if you're limited time, you can say, okay, give me your assessment. I'll look at it. I will uh, modify and adapt it and add things to it. And then I'll send it back for you for your viewing. And then you can determine if the rigor is still high, if this is appropriate. And at that time, uh, you can spend that, that, that planning time to look at the assessment. So this would, instead of having two meetings, this just would have just one meeting where the assessment has already been somewhat ma uh, modified and somewhat adapted. And then the final uh, stamp of approval comes from when you're working with your content teacher and saying, yes, this is exactly keeping the integrity of the assessment. Definitely, and that allows us to, to have a further reach because you can do that with many, if you have K-5 and you're responsible K-5, yes. then that's a way to do it. The other thing, the other beauty of it is in this technological world yes. <laughs> we're living in, we often use Google Docs to, and the content teachers will create their assessments in there share them with me and I'm able to give them input and then in comments, you know, in real time, explain why I did what I did and, and, you know, get their feedback as well. And it's a lot of, it's a big time saver because you can do it remotely. You can do it at the evening whenever you want and everybody can see what you're working on. Right. And you're, you're, you were talking about the concept that though we have a limited amount of time, we have to be intentional with the time that we are given or the time that we're able to scrape out. And some of that time means maybe saying, I've already, I've already modified and adapted the assessment. Hey, let's use this 35 minutes to uh, verify this is the assessment that you would want, yet still would help the language learners. Absolutely. And you could come in pre-planned and have that conversation that now takes 15 minutes right. instead of sitting down and co-create it. Right. So let's transition to talking about uh, another form of co-assessing, and that's uh, writing rubrics. That is writing instructions, writing the plan for the, the assessment. Have you used the um, the five-step protocol for co-assessment for student learning? No. Do you want to talk about it? No. Well, it's not it's not ours. It is from uh, Andrea Honigsfeld and Dove. Um, and they, I think they first published it, I want to say in the 2018 co-teaching book, um, I, the yellow book. Oh, with all the hands? Yeah. Co-teaching for English learners. Yeah. Um, and it's honestly a really great framework to use if 
you know, it's if co-assessment is something new um, because it's just five simple steps and you don't necessarily have to even fill out the document, just use it as a guide. And um, it has your key considerations, just like you were just talking about, you know, what does the standard actually say? What does it require? Um, and what's the criteria? And um, how are we going to make instructional decisions based on what we get from this? And it's um, a really beautiful place to start. So can you say those five things again? Sure. So the first one is uh, create standards-based content and language objective because we always want to have the content and language integrated. The second one is match the performance assessment to the learning objectives and the criteria. Okay. Um, which the question there is kind of how are we defining criteria for success in both the content and the language, right? Then um, number three is to collect and interpret the evidence. Okay, so what data sources are we going to use and how are we going to make sense of this data together? Number four is to provide criterion referenced feedback based on the evidence that you collected. So basically, how are you going to offer meaningful feedback to all students so that not only you can benefit from that data, but they can also grow themselves from that. Um, and the last one, number five, is to make instructional decisions based on that student data, which is what we all try to do is make sure that it's data-driven instructional decisions. To emphasize the, number, the step number four, you talked about creating the criterion feedback. I love that because when we co a form of co-assessing is creating the criterion that we're going to use to evaluate students. When we create that with our content teacher, it really helps us identify the language that the kids need to know, the content that kids need to know, and the expectations for the product. This goes back to John Hattie where, where he talks about teacher clarity is one of the highest factors that support student achievement. And when we sit down with our, our colleague and say, oh, okay, Let's create the criterion. Ah, so you want this, this, and this. I get it now. Now I have to figure out how we can make that happen for kids. When we create the criterion, it's also clear for the content teacher in addition for it to be clear for us. And lastly, it's super clear for kids. Instead of they're just doing projects, they are doing assess engaging assessments that meet the criterion specifically. Absolutely, and if you're a school or um, a teacher that has to use standards-based grading, this is a great way to make sure that the kids know what is expected, that you know what is expected, and that they're able to grade themselves, really, if they were to have the rubric that you have created or the checklist or whatever the assessment may, might look like. One of my favorite, um, one of my favorite ever lessons that Ashley and I did one time is we actually do once a quarter, we do what we call a science talk. And what it is, is it's basically where we put the students into random groups of about four each, and they have um, talking chips. So they each have a talking chip, one side's red, one side's yellow. So after they speak, they flip it. So it would be yellow, and then after they speak, they can flip it to red. So until every single person's chip is red, you can't call on the same person. It's one of our criteria, right? And um, then the students will talk about whatever it is that we're learning content-wise. So it happens to be that right now we're learning about birds, 
lots and lots about birds. <laughs> and so the most recent science talk, the question was, how do birds' body parts help them survive? And so we had a word wall with pictures and all the words on it. Our kids use gestures for agree, disagree, add on, um, question, things like that. And we kind of let them go. But we created, co-created a rubric. We developed it together for these science talks. And the only thing that changes from that rubric, from science talk to science talk, is the content in each expectation. Right. So... Then we put them on clipboards. They're checklists for us. So in the first column, it has um, what would be a one, a two, a three, or a four, because we do standards-based grading here in North Carolina. And then in the center column, it has an example of an exemplary um, performance. And then it has a note section. And each of us has these checklists on a clipboard as we walk around through the groups and we kind of listen and, and grade and take anecdotal notes. But the best part is we film it. Mm. So then when we're finished actually grading with our rubrics, we then sit down together, share what we gave each student and watch the video together and talk about why did I give this student a three and you gave this student a two? What was the difference? What a beautiful and it's example. A, it's a great learning experience and it's a great way to make sure that we're on the same page at all times and that we are, you know, equitably and uh, grading, grading our students and making sure we get all the content and language in there. You're, lead, you're leading us to the next topic, which is fantastic. You're segueing us to the next topic, which is uh, talking about co-assessing together. So we talked about creating a set rubrics. We talked about Create, uh, creating assessments instructions for kids. Now you're actually talking about oh, co-assessing the, the student work at the same time. Do you do that and how do you do that? So we do sometimes and sometimes we don't. So right. it just depends. Yep. Um, in that situation I just described, we had, I believe it was six groups of four students. Is that right? Yes. And so Ashley, we had said beforehand, I will do this three, this, these three groups, you will assess these three groups. And then with the video, we're able to then swap and look at the other one and see, were we on the same page? Did we grade the same way? Why, what are we going to, how are we going to come into agreement to what goes on the report card or whatever? So we do it that way for the speaking and listening that way. But for example, the other day we had, um, a district benchmark that we were told was due by Friday and they told us on Wednesday and we had to screen all of the children by Friday and it's all taken in small groups. We only have six laptops per room. So I took a group of six in a small group, assessed them while Ashley continued the teaching and then we would we would keep cycling groups through. So I was co-assessing while Ashley was teaching to make sure we did not get behind in the curriculum. Oh, great. And so that's another way to co-assess. So we actually came up with three approaches to co-assessment because we were exploring co-assessment kind of when we first started co-teaching and thinking, okay, what does this look like in practice? And what we came up with was the three that we normally um, do. And they are one monitor, one assess, 
which is one person is literally just walking around the room, monitoring behavior, answering questions, while the other one is actually facilitating the assessment. Is this a formative or summative assessment, or it could be both? It could be both. I mean, you could use any of these approaches for any assessment, whether it's formative or summative. Um, the next approach we use is one teach, one assess, which is what I was just speaking of, where one teacher continues the learning while the other teacher pulls small groups to assess at um, in a, either in a different location or in the same room at a different table. Um, and then the third one is divide and assess, which is literally the students, we can divide them in half and each assess half, or we can have, for example, them go into rotations and I take a small group and she takes a small group and then we rotate through. Um, John and I tend to use one to each one assess more than anything, but Ashley and I tend to use divide and assess. So it's just all about your collaborative relationship and what works. And if you're actually in the classroom to give the assessment versus just um, helping to scaffold and get it prepared in advance. Thank you for these three really clear examples. You're really showing the, these examples go back to the principle that collaboration is like water. It takes a shape that the container it's put in. So the when we assess, it takes a shape of the relationship that we have, the collaboration that we have, the, the need that this, that the teachers have for the assessment. So it's not just uh, pencil and paper, it's different ways of doing that. And it, it's kind of like co-teaching where it's not, co-teaching is not just two teachers in the front of the room, it's where you are in the room, it's what you, it's the service you're providing. And when you're co-assessing in these three different ways, you are providing a different service, a different way of co-assessing. So that's great. It brings me back to my two examples. When I currently, I'm, in a, I'm a fifth grade teacher, so uh, I'm very familiar with the content because it's at a fifth grade level. So I'm able to, uh, as you said, uh, divide and assess. So I'm able to take a group of students' work and assess them. And my co-teacher is, is doing the same thing as well. And then, uh, but in when I was working in the ninth grade in middle school and high school, I didn't know about physics. I, I couldn't, I didn't know about, um, well, I'm not very knowledgeable about uh, specific science content like chemistry. And this is where they would assess, but my work has already been part of the assessment in that I helped create the assessment. I helped co-create the instructions. I helped make the instructions clearer. For example, instead of some teachers like to write instructions that are multiple steps in a gigantic sentence. Instead, what, what I do is I, I take this uh, multi-step sentence and I break it up into different steps for, for the students. So I take one step, do this, then the next step would be do something to do something else, and then the third one would be the last one. And so when we break up assessments like that, we are part of the assessment, even though we're not sitting down and looking at the physics assessment together. Absolutely. And and it's important, I think, too, for teachers to keep in mind the co-assessment cycle, because being a part of every part of that co-assessment cycle is the goal. But we have to be honest with ourselves in knowing that ESL teachers can be spread very thin. Yes. So in any way that if you want to collaborate on a piece even of the co-assessment cycle, if you want to co help co-develop the assessment or co-plan the assessment and or you want to you know, do that with the teacher, but you can't be a part of the rest, that is still so vitally important. Any piece 
that can be collaboratively done is always going to be in in my opinion from what i've seen more effective yes and so i i we're, we're speaking the same language we're trying to tell teachers that do not feel like sitting together and co-assessing the the student data is the only way to co-assess it's one of the key to assessing is actually writing the instructions creating the criteria restructuring the instructions for for students to be able to comprehend it if I walk away from a co-planning session where we co-created the assessment and I don't really come back for a few more days, my work is still essential to students. The work that I, the, the ideas that I contributed to during the co-assessing, co-creating the assessment is gonna help kids understand and engage the assessment. So I don't have to feel guilty that I'm not able to help kids. I've done a lot of work, we've done a lot of work by making the instructions clearer for kids. Absolutely. And, and like you said, every situation is different. Every ESL teacher has different responsibilities and different capabilities. And you know what? I, I am totally on board with you when you said don't feel guilty. You know, it's you do as much as you can. And then you're like, OK, you know what? Look at the positive. I did this much. Yes. Not what you didn't do, but what yes. did you do? Yes. And it goes back to the concept of um, we cannot change how much time you have. It's just saying, what can we do with the time that we have? And maybe the, the 35 minutes that you have once a week is working with creating the assessment for the students with the mm -hmm. teacher or creating the criterion to make the expectations super clear. I want to talk about one more thing. Uh, so you, you, you talked about actually co-assessing side by side. Do you want to talk about that experience? Sure. So um, when we co-assess so we do, like I said, we do a lot of divide and assess. We do a lot of one teach, one assess. But there are situations in which, like, for example, uh, one I can think of off the top of my head in elementary school are these lovely spelling tests that we take on Fridays. Mm. Um, and that, I mean, to make it efficient and the most effective is to just do it whole group. Well, if I'm going to be in the classroom when we're doing this whole group, you know, I can still be contributing and being one of the co-teachers in the room by monitoring or by switching up who's actually administering it. So maybe John will do this Friday and I'll administer it next Friday and he'll float and answer questions and monitor behavior. So I feel like when you're assessing together and you're, you're if you are a co-teacher and you're in there every day, it might not feel as much like co-teaching or as much like collaborative because you're just floating but I really encouraged myself to go to John at one point and say, hey, you think I could try giving one of these spelling tests sometime and see if we could, you know, because that shows parity. And it also, um, it's important for the students, you know, sometimes to get a little bit of a different, you know, just not the same old all the time. Mm -hmm. So um, we tried that and honestly it works really well. And the kids will now say, oh, well, who's giving the spelling test today? And then we ended up um, also kind of transitioning over to the students giving it as well. So so you're talking about co-assessing together, like co-assessing meaning sharing the, the same role, but sometimes it might be you doing it, sometimes it might be John doing it, sometimes it might be Ashley doing it. It depends on the relationship. And, and okay. so to go back, to add to that example, I want to talk about uh, 
one example, when I sat down with my fifth grade co-teacher and we looked at a student's writing example, um, we wanted to norm ourselves first. So we took a pile of students' assessment, uh, students' writing, and we would read it together and then we would give our feedback. And so we would norm our feedback. So we did that uh, four or five together and then we, then we took and then divided um, the assessments and then we, we, we just did our own little piles. And that really helped because now, we, now I know what she's expecting and, and, and she knows what I'm expecting from the language side. And so we really have a common language, a common understanding of that. And another example is when uh, we actually took the entire pile of 20 kids, um, their writing, and we said, okay, let's do this together. You read the assessment, um, we'll talk about it, and then I will give the feedback. So I have my little sheet feedback form, uh, our feedback form that we co-created. We would read the text, we would take turns reading the text back and forth out loud, and we would talk about it. And then as this is happening, we're actually writing down the feedback and we move on to the next student. We have a new feedback form and we do the same thing again. That was a really cool experience. We've only been able to do that once so far this year, but that was a really great experience of, actually that was my first experience, my one and only experience of sitting together, co-assessing at the same time, the same document. And we really were, we created a system of, it was almost like a conveyor belt of like uh, uh, student work talking about it. Uh, and then one person would write, write the feedback. And that felt really collaborative as well. Yeah, it sounds very similar to our Ashley and I's science talk example for mm -hmm. sure. Um, and those are the times where you feel, I feel like at least for us, the most collaborative yes. where we are really on the same page, yes. um, especially when we go to co-analyze together with, um, for us, it was videos for you guys. It was not, but um, when we go to co-analyze together, those conversations about why did you give a three and I gave a two are extremely integral in understanding each other as collaborative partners and also you know making sure we're consistent in evaluating student work um but it's really cool too once you're done to sit there and say okay now here's the data we have mm -hmm. let's see what trends you notice and what trends i notice yeah and oftentimes they're not the same trends and it's really interesting because i'll say oh well, i didn't notice that you know i didn't know i didn't notice that these three kids got most of the comprehension questions incorrect and we should really focus on comprehension with them. What I noticed was this, and it's such a constructive conversation. Um, and I truly believe that we get to know our students better when we do that. And you know each other better as well. You know each other's uh, assessment style, their expectations, and you really create, this is, this is the power of collaboration. You get to know the kids better. You get to know your teachers better. They get to know you better. And you get to know the content and they get to also know the language expectations so much better. And this is, this is why the, the National Association of uh, Staff Development talks about job embedded learning as one of the most important forms of professional learning where teams of teachers are meeting together regularly to talk about work, to talk about student learning. Well, our collective expertise is so much more powerful than one one of us by ourselves. Right. So right. I I I love the direction in which we're going. It seems in education with more more teacher collaboration. And teacher collaboration can feel like oh it's not efficient, but yet it's really effective in the way that we are developing as professionals. So it takes a lot of time, yet the time that we're investing in it 
really produces lots of uh, benefits for teachers, for students, and the whole community. And this is, I guess I'm speaking to the administrators now, and this is why we, we want, we ask, we implore you to carve out the time in students, in teacher schedule to give them time to collaborate. And they can do a lot of things. And it's not just sitting and grading papers. Exactly. Well, Allison, we talked a lot and you have a lot of experience and expertise. So I really thank you for sharing your understanding of co-assessing. And you've talked about um, co-assessing of creating rubrics and criteria to also creating the instructions for the for the assessment to actually co-assessing at the same time. So I know that listeners really will benefit from this conversation. Well, thanks, Tan. I really appreciate the invitation to come chat with you. I mean, I feel like, you know, everything I do, we do, excuse me, is is um, is a lot based on, on your experience and learning from you as well. So thank you so much. <laughs> well, just figuring out and then sharing what we are like, oh, hey, this is what I'm doing. So I benefit a lot from you too. You have really great resources. I noticed that on your site, you have, not on your site, but in your, when you tweet, you often pro provide really clear examples of, and graphics of what you're doing. So keep on sharing because we learn a lot from you. So keep it up. Let's end the podcast with traffic light teaching. I always end it with this way. I always ask teachers, there's a red light in teaching, meaning what do you ask teachers to stop doing in their profession uh, and then two the second one is yellow what do you ask teachers to, to slow down or question or consider about their practice and the green light is yes go what do you ask teachers to do as much as possible in their practice you can do it any order order <laughs> okay so um i'll go red light yellow light green light so for Red light, I think one of the most important points that that you had made, um, Tana, is that, you know, I really wish teachers would stop feeling guilty <laughs> for not being able to completely immerse themselves in collaboration or completely, um, in this case, um, follow every step of the co-assessment cycle. Um, for my yellow, I hope that teachers, though, do keep pushing for as much collaborative co-assessment as possible and they do try to find little windows of opportunities to collaborate on assessments and provide the language lens um, and the scaffolds that we know students um, can be successful using and then for the green light is honestly just like go and try co-assessment like just try it pick a teacher if you've never done it Pick a teacher that you feel like, you know, you work really well with or you you jive with and say, hey, can we try this? Just try it once. Try to co-develop a rubric or try to co-develop some sort of assessment and or try to, you know, co-deliver the assessment and then look at the data together. See what type of insight you can get from co-assessing. And that's key to collaboration. It's really saying who can I work with that's willing? Because we, we need to work with all of our teachers, but the ones who are willing, we invest in them the most because we really, as when we work with them, we really develop our skills in developing with other teachers who are, who are interested in the future. And so uh, take every, walk, I say, uh, walk through every door that is open. Let's, can you, you've talked about co-assessment 
the co-assessment cycle several times. Can you can you talk about the, the different phases of the co-assessment cycle? Oh, absolutely. So co-assessment cycle is something that when my co-teachers and I were starting our co-teaching journey, um, we never focused as much on the co-assessment part of the co-teaching cycle because we were trying to um, kind of master uh, just the co-planning and co-teaching piece. Um, and you got to start somewhere, right? So we started there. And then once we had those down, we said, okay, now we really need to focus in on our weakness, which would be co-assessment. Mm. And so when we did that, we said, okay, what does this look like? And we built a co-assessment cycle for ourselves just so we could, and we've shared it um, and are happy to share it. Um, but it's co-plan, co-collect, co-analyze, and co-reflect. So in the co-planning piece is where you would develop co-develop your assessments, um, make sure that students have an opportunity to show their learning in multiple formats and that it aligns to objectives, both content and language and desired outcomes for both parties. And then the co-collection piece is literally just giving that assessment, gathering your data in whatever way works for you, whether it's on a spreadsheet or in some other way. Um, to document student progress, both formally and informally. Then you have co-analyze, which is where you're going to evaluate your student performance based on that data and identify your trends. And then your co-reflection piece is when you go ahead and identify and respond to those areas that might need reteaching, might need, um, you might need to plan to adjust or differentiate in the future, in, in your future instruction. Um, that's the co-assessment cycle that we built for ourselves to make sure that we could check off each piece. Hmm, how beautiful. You should write about it as a blog post because that's- I We actually have a blog post about it and it's called, okay, let me think. It's it's from a while back. I think it's called Co-Assessment, the what, why, and how <laughs> on, our, on our website. So it is there. So um, check it out. <laughs> well, that's beautiful. Will you send me the link and I'll just put it in the show notes? Absolutely will. And I also love the, the fact that you talked about this before. You said, don't feel guilty that you can't be part of the entire, all the parts of the co-assessment cycle. But yet, wherever you find yourself, wherever the door is open, work with that part of the cycle. And so you've really identified the four uh, phases of the cycle. And this helps teachers know that, oh, okay, I'm in the co-collect phase and this is what I can do. So thank you for, for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. We just hope it helps. We just share what works for us and that works for us. So we hope it works for someone else as well. <laughs> well, again, thank you, Allison, for doing this. Before we recap this episode, I have a favor and an invitation. My favor is to ask you to please review this podcast if you found it valuable so that teachers like you become inspired and informed in their advocacy work. My invitation is for you to enroll in my scaffolding learning or teacher collaboration courses. I've taken the principles that I've learned from experts in the field. I've applied them to my classes. I kept the things that work and I'm sharing all of them in these courses. I hope you consider enrolling. Now onto our recap. When we do not co-assess or plan the assessments together, the assessments might unintentionally become a reading assessment, 
rather than assessing students' mastery of the content and the content-based skills. When I started scaffolding the assessment in isolation, I often watered down the rigor. It was only when I sat with my co-teacher and we co-constructed the assessment that the rigor was maintained while still scaffolding the assessment for students. Allison also shared her three most used forms of assessment. They are one assesses, one monitors, one teaches, one assesses, and divide and assess. For many, this might mean designing the assessment tasks together, writing the rubric, and if you know the content, assessing the student work independently. The most important thing to remember about co-assessing is to help scaffold the language of the instructions and to make sure that students understand the type of language that the assignment is asking for. Now, when I co-plan, my favorite thing to do is to co-plan the assessment. Co-planning the assessment is the highest return for our investment of time. 30 or 40 minutes of co-planning can really impact students for the entire unit. If you don't have time to plan consistently all the time, work on co-planning just the assessment then. When you're not there, the scaffolds that you plan during co-planning time will still be used. In the next episode, we'll have Allison's co-teacher, John, join us to share his perspective from a homeroom teacher in a co-teaching relationship. Thank you for listening. I'll see you soon. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine.